0: We are going to be dealing with a new year, but also with a new challenge. And there's always challenges with every, every new year. They'll always be different for each and every one of us. But whatever that may be, there's one truth that we have to always remember. And I believe the first truth that we need to understand is from our text in Isaiah 42 verses 8 and 9. And the real text for today is the next one, is, which is Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. But let's begin with Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 9. Because the Lord himself says to his people, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Let's always remember that we have one God, and he is God over all. And there are no other gods. We do, ma- we do not make other gods, we do not... Consider other gods to be anything or anyone and can tell us what God has already spoken to us clearly in his word. And then he says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is certainly a, a, an announcement of prophetic importance. New things do I declare. He would declare them to the children of Israel. They would affect the church of Jesus Christ today. So always remember the importance of God's desire to give us new things. So when we look at Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, the next page over, the Lord says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, And now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers, in the desert. I, the Lord says, will do a new thing. At the risk of sounding somewhat gloomy and less than encouraging, at least for a few moments, I'd like to remind you of certain realities that that take place at the end of a year. And especially on the night before the new year. In a couple of days, many of us will gather with our family and loved ones to bring in the new year. And hopefully many of you will join us here on New Year's Eve. But there will be many who have a predisposition or a susceptibility, if you will, to worldly things that will begin their partying or their secular festivities, as it were, where adult beverages will abound that may very well result in fatalities on our streets and roads. Sad occasions that we hear about on the following day, the day that should be about new beginnings, a new start we all have some idea that we want to do something different something new something better at the beginning of a year we have that mindset that we say well, we're going to kind of close this one out a little bit and then and then on the first we'll start no wait a minute on the second we're still doing a little party on the first But if we're serious about a new beginning and if we're serious about a new start, we shouldn't wait till Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. The new year starts now because it's a new day that God has given us. The word of God is clear. This is is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's a new day. Now, getting back to what's going to happen on New Year's Eve to to a lot of people, many of us were there at one time. Many of us were there. Maybe not to the degree that some take it, but we were there. But so much has changed for us. So much has changed. And whether the world likes it or not, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) whether the world likes it or not, be it family or friends, we choose to follow Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. We chose on a, on a certain day that God chose for us. We chose that day no longer to follow the things of the world but to follow Christ himself. But there should always be a consideration that we are to do through the power of, the, of, the, of God's Holy Spirit that which will honor the Lord that we serve and to keep ourselves from stumbling, to keep ourselves from falling, as the words of Jude encourages us, when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. I think if we're going to make any resolutions whatsoever for a new year, it begins here and now with that very statement, will I keep myself in the love of God? For the exhortation is, keep yourselves in the in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Think about that for just a moment with the little scenario I gave you earlier. How we used to encourage people in drinking and doing all kinds of other things on that night. At the risk of anyone or any people falling into some terrible accident or whatever. But now we look at things from another perspective. Maybe it's that night that we tell people to turn their lives to Jesus Christ. Again, it is having a new perspective that God alone is, can give. And he says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There will be some professing Christians, even some believers, who will struggle with the trials of New Year's Eve. It's been known to happen. Yet we need again to see that perspective of hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. But notice verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And that is where our focus needs to be, not just one day out of the year, but every day. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. As believers in Jesus Christ, those who desire to pursue Christ, as the psalmist stated in Psalm 63 when he said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Or a few verses later when he says in verse 8, My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. We as believers in Jesus Christ who desire to pursue Christ that way have to consider asking hard questions in days and times like these. Such as being so close to the coming of our Lord for his church. Are we done with living in the past? Folks, that is a very serious question being so close to the coming of our Lord for his church, are we done with living in the past? Are we ready to press on with a new beginning as a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ in this coming year? Am I ready and willing to die to myself each and every day of this new year and live for Christ Jesus as the psalmist David did? Am I ready to have a life filled with the love and peace and joy of our Lord Jesus Christ, reflecting the fruit of his spirit to all, and in doing so, have a new start each day of my life? That's why I say the new year doesn't begin in a few days. It begins now. It begins today. We are to always remember who God is. He said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. All glory and honor and praise that comes from us can only go in one direction. Can only go to one person. Can only go really to the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. To the one God. The one true and living God. Who has seen the beginning from the end because he says behold the former things are come to pass and new things I do declare or do I declare before they spring forth I tell you of them. But for today he says remember ye not the former things and neither consider the things of old behold I will do a new thing. By the way folks this is the encouragement. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So it is quite significant that David's psalm was written when he was was in the wilderness of Judah. Psalm 63 was written when he was in the wilderness of Judah. In a dry and a thirsty land. much like the wilderness that we traverse as we await the coming of Jesus Christ. We're living, folks, in a dry and weary land. But the Word of God was written for us to see where we are today, especially the Hebrew Scriptures. Consider, if you will, the condition of God's people at the time of Isaiah's prophecy The people were divided into two kingdoms. Israel was the northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel had turned its back to God to lead a life full of sin and idolatry. There was never one good thing that the northern kingdom ever did. Because every king that they had was a wicked king, an evil king. The northern kingdom was started in idolatry. The northern kingdom was started in rebellion against God. The northern kingdom rejected God's word and his commandments for the worship of idols. But sadly, the southern kingdom of Judah was heading in the same direction. Though they had good kings and bad kings, toward the end, all they had was bad kings. And we get a little bit of a picture of what was happening to, to Judah and, and actually all of Israel in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. In the very first four verses of that prophecy. It tells us a vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward, which, which tells us they were backslidden people. To backslide isn't that you get on, a, on the wrong side of a hill and, and, and can't con- control yourself. No, you're pulling back. You're pulling back away from God. That is what a backslider does. And because the people would not turn their back on sin, Isaiah told them that they would eventually be defeated the Lord would deliver them into the hands of the Babylonians so they they would once again become captives and slaves slaves as they were so many, many years before in, in, in Egypt. And that for 400 some years. But look how clearly this is stated in Isaiah 39, verses 5 through 7, when the Lord gives a message to Hezekiah. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You will lose everything, and even your own sons will never be able to have their own sons. Beyond the day that they become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Those are the consequences of sin. You might ask, why is it important to know these things? Well, it is important to know these things because through them we learn that there are consequences to all of our actions. There are consequences to all of our actions. Therefore, keep these things in mind as we continue. Now, I do have to interject here very quickly and say there is comfort coming. There is encouragement coming. But the people of Judah they would still have to endure through another hundred years of difficulties before the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom. And then, once they go into captivity in Babylon, they'd have to go endure another 70 years of exile. But, in the verses given in Isaiah 43, the Lord offers them words of consolation, of comfort, and of hope. He was calling them. To a new beginning. He was calling his people. Who he knew. Were rebellious. And disobedient. He was calling them back. By calling them to. A new beginning. God was calling them. To repent. Of their sins. To turn from their sins to turn their back on sins, and to turn toward the God who created them. And while we are not going to be led captive ourselves to Babylon, there may be many in the body of Christ that are still captive to the things of the world. Therefore, let's remember the words in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, For God says, Remember ye not, the former things neither consider the things of old behold i will do a new thing now it shall spring forth shall you not know it i will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert realistically now there are those who due to their rebellion and due to their idolatry you may call it the lack of willpower if you will but certainly apathy or or discouragement, all those who are are, are, are in, in that kind of situation are already slaves to this evil and wicked world, though they may profess Christ. Just remember this, that the Lord truly wants to do something new in our lives. The Lord truly wants to do something new in our lives, especially if any of us find ourselves in any of those situations God has tremendous compassions for you in fact even in the book of of, uh, Lamentations of Jeremiah it is there in the very center of that whole five chapter book that God is crying out through his prophet that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. And that his compassions never fail. And great is his faithfulness. The Lord wants to do something new in our lives. I want you to consider Paul's exhortation in Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9. Now the first 8 verses there include the issue of, of baptism. How we are baptized to identify with the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That allows us to understand that we have died to ourselves, that we have died to our sins, and that we are now alive in Christ. With all that in mind, in verse 9, Paul says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. If we are truly identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then we have to identify with that in that we have died. We are to reckon ourselves dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice what he says in verse 12. Not, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What is that telling us? Don't let sin rule in your body. What did we learn last week? Let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart. Let the peace of God rule. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Then he says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, But yield yourselves unto God. Now stop there and think about that word yield. I know that in some translations it says that we are to present ourselves unto God. Others may say that you offer yourself unto God. But literally what Paul is writing in that word yield is stand beside God. Don't stand beside all of that unrighteousness of sin. But yield yourselves unto God. Stand beside him as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We have to always and every day remember where we stand with God, how we came to know the love of Christ. By faith, by grace through faith. By his undeserved favor through believing what Christ has done for us. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace. Later on Paul in Romans 12 would say, in verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren. In other words, he's imploring them, he's begging them. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's very similar to yielding our bodies, but presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, separated, set apart from the things of God, from the things of the world unto God, separated from sin, separated from all these things, present yourselves. Your body is a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is our reasonable service? Worship. It is our worship of God. It is our surrendering completely to His love, to His mercy, to His grace, and to His truth, and worshiping worshiping Him and praising Him for all the things that He's done. There's nothing more reasonable than that. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. And I've used this example time and time again to understand the word conformed. Conformed. Con. Just like chile con carne. With. Or with a proper accent, chile con carne. Con is with. Don't be formed with this world. Don't be formed with this world. Don't be formed into this world. Don't be formed like this world. We have to be different from the world. We've already been there. But be transformed. Changed. Changed changed by the renewing of our minds which by the way is connected to our hearts by the renewing of our mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in Isaiah the Lord said remember ye not the former things in verse 19 of 43 Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. That could simply be interpreted as saying, Forget the former things, and don't dwell on the past. Forget the former things, and don't dwell on the past. I mean, this is important to remember. Because our adversary, the devil, will always use our past and faults to accuse us. We have this kind of thing that, you know, well, the past is so haunting me. Well, I wonder if I, you know, and and, and we get stuck in it and we're not moving forward. Remember what Paul said to the Philippians, forgetting what is behind, pressing forward, press forward, press forward. How do we go forward if we're stuck in the past? If we're stuck worrying about the sins of our past, which by the way, we're taking care of on the cross. Do you remember the cross? That's where Jesus took those sins we're the only ones to go back because the enemy keeps wanting to... Uh, somehow we think that the, the guilt's going to be helpful to us. <laughs> it's not. It's not helpful to us. The enemy will use them to keep us slaves of our own conscience. And he'll use them to keep us from leading the life that God wants us to lead. Notice I said a life... That he wants us to lead, not just to live, but to lead. Because we're moving forward. And we want to be like Paul when Paul says, follow me, because I follow Christ. In that respect, every believer in Jesus Christ is a leader. We need to lead a life of holiness, and of righteousness. Of godliness, of truth, of mercies, of justice—true justice, not this social justice warrior stuff of of this generation. It's really been a long time. I mean, the you know, the idea, the philosophy of social justice—it's all about the world. It's not about Christ. It's not about true justice. So the question may be, what type of life would that be? What type of life would that be that we are to lead for Christ? Well, let's consider Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at lists. You know, lists are pretty good to look at. There's a bunch of lists in the Bible. And many of the prophets and the apostles, of course, gave us lists. Not lisps, but lists. Lists. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. That's a good way to start. We want to know the kind of life that we're to lead as a believer. We need to be a believer that rejoices, which means a believer that worships. A believer that praises God. A believer that honors God with every faculty, with every part of his life or her life. You know, we, we, we pour out our life for God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. When something is repeated, it is of extreme importance here. Paul is saying, be worshipers. Be rejoicing. Be following after the God who has given us a joy that nobody on the earth can understand. That's why in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it tells us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Then he said, let your moderation be known unto all men. What is moderation? Well, it can be gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. There was a gentleness about Jesus that we are to take as as part of our own life. But it isn't just about gentleness. Moderation is about patience. There's a resolution we ought to make. Lord, this year I want to be a more patient person. So Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. That's not patience. Patience takes time. Moderation is more than gentleness and patience. You know what moderation is? It is appropriateness. That's probably the better understanding of the word moderation here. The better definition is appropriateness. Let your appropriateness be known unto all men. We are to live appropriate lives for God. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And if the Lord was at hand nearly 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, it's at hand even more now. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What we learned last week, the peace of God, that is to rule our hearts finally brethren here's the list finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of good report if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think On these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Do. Here again Paul is saying. You look at my life. You've heard what I've said. Do them. And the God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace shall be with you. And I think that the struggle of so many people even in the church today is that we need to start thinking about those things that are true and honest not the things that are false and lies and dishonest. We need to be people that think upon things that are just and pure not in how to be unjust or to become impure. We need to think on things that are lovely and of good report. Not things that are, that are awful and ugly and wicked. And if there be any virtue and any praise, those are the things that we think on. Those are the things that we want to say in our quote-unquote resolutions. Resolutions that I want to keep my mind on. Of course we're going to be attacked. Of course we're going to be uh, uh, tempted away from all of those things. But have we forgotten that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world? Greater is he, Jesus Christ, who is in us, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And don't forget that if he's in us, so is his spirit. The enemy of our souls will continue to do everything that he can to keep us from the joy and the victory that is ours in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ by attempting to use our past to keep us captivated in sin. Or, if I, or I should say to keep us captive in sin. And captivated for that matter. We need to remember from where Christ rescued us We need to remember from where Christ rescued us to cleanse us and to purify us. Because he didn't just rescue us to rescue us, he rescued us to change us. Because of us, because of being sinners, we were part of the problem. You know, it is something that we should always remember and testify to. We need to testify about what Christ did in rescuing us to cleanse us and to purify us. That needs to be our testimony, folks. I'd like to have you turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 10 because that, uh, that idea is reflected in this passage. Acts chapter 10. Peter, the apostle, has been called to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile who actually reveres and respects the God of Israel. And if you'll begin with me in verse 34, it says, And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's a very interesting statement that Peter makes because what he's saying is, Listen, God is not a respecter of persons. He came to save not just the Jew but the Gentile as well. Because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is a little interjection here that is of great importance because this is a statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, And began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. In other words, he is the ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, give all the prophets witness. In other words, every prophet of the Hebrew scriptures, every prophet Gives testimony at witness of Jesus Christ. That through his name, his name, Yeshua, Yehoshua, the Messiah, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, Jew or Gentile, shall receive remission or forgiveness of sins. What a tremendous testimony that Peter gives to a Gentile household of Jesus Christ. Declares him deity. Declares him one who wore flesh, but but that flesh was taken to the cross. He died. He bled. He was buried. And in three days he rose again, conquering sin and death. Peter is giving testimony of how they, the apostles and the disciples, were changed forever. We are to give testimony of what Christ has done to change us. So it is remembering then that we have been made new. It is remembering and always remembering and never forgetting. I know that that may sound redundant, but I don't care. I want to remember, not to forget, what I should remember. And that is this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. I like that. That's the way it should be written. Instead, some translations change that. No, all things are passed away. What does that mean? All things are dead in the believer's life. Scripture's clear here. He's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, which means all things become new and all things stay new. It is remembering that we have been made new. It is remembering that we have been separated from the world, separated from the flesh and even of the devil to be entirely his, to be entirely Belonging to Him, belonging to our God, belonging to our Savior. Turn to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Leviticus 20, verse 26 says, And ye shall be holy unto me. God speaking to the children of Israel. Bear with me now. You shall be holy unto me, separate from the things of the world, separate from sin, separate from the world. And separated and set apart for me. You shall be holy unto me. For I the Lord am holy. And have severed you from other people. That's a strong word by the way. And have severed you. From other people. And notice the reason. That ye should be mine. That ye should be mine. His possession. In essence his possession. Precious possession. Now, spiritually as well as biblically speaking, this isn't the Lord's sentiment for the children of Israel only. Because I want you to remember that Peter would, would say to the church in First Peter 1 verses 13 through 16, using the texts from Leviticus, He says to the church, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, notice this. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, which means all manner of conduct, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What he said to the children of Israel, he says to the church that what matters to the children of Israel matters to the church. And the reason why he separates us from our former lusts is so that we can be entirely his. We cannot be part of his and part of the world. We cannot have one foot in the kingdom of God and another foot in the kingdom of the devil it is written be ye holy set apart sanctified and set apart from the things of the world and the flesh and set apart unto God the sentiment may be implied but it is real We are to be entirely His. That you should be mine. You see, the Lord wants to do something new in our lives today. Back in verse 19 of Isaiah 43, He says, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He wants to do something new in our lives today, even in this respect. These were words of consolation. These were words of comfort to the people of Judah, as they are to us as well. God's word to us is that if we will trust him with all of our hearts, he will guide us through the tribulations that we have to navigate and pass through in this world. And folks, let's, let's, let's be honest. We are not to navigate ourselves alone. In fact, we need to surrender to the one who is the captain of our souls. The one who will navigate us through the floods and the fires, the rapids that could wash us away from Him. Jesus said to His disciples before going to the cross, in John 16, verse 33, He said, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. There's peace again. We need to have peace ruling in our hearts. In the world, you shall have tribulation. You will have troubles. You will have struggles. You will have trials. You will have floods. You will have storms in your life. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You know what that statement is? Remember, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. He's hours away from going to the cross. Yet he is able to say, I have overcome the world already. Why? Because the Lord said, The former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. That's the God we serve. Jesus never said, I might overcome the world. He said, I have overcome the world. Can we put our faith in the one who already knows the beginning from the end? Amen? So in this coming new year, the Lord wants to open for us a new path filled with his presence. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like a new way to the Lord because we know one thing. There's no new way to the Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But to take that path that is already ours in Christ because he said, I am the way, to take that path is to take it with a new heart every day. It is to take it with a new understanding that we are new creatures in Christ and the old is passed away. So in a sense, that is a new path filled with his presence that we will be able to overcome any apathy or any rebellion that often, oftentimes leads us from his presence and his will. He wants to give us a healthy drink from the fountain of living waters so that we will never thirst again. Jesus, in John chapter 14, to the woman at the well said, in verses 13 and 14, he said, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Speaking of the water from the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Folks, we need to know the difference between this life that we live that is numbered in our lives scripture is clear our days are numbered we don't know what the number is and we don't know when the number will come about but to those of us who trust and love the Lord Jesus Christ that doesn't matter what matters is that we continue to live forever. In him, a well of water springing up unto, into everlasting life. Could, uh, come to Jesus, in other words. Come to Jesus and believe in his work on your behalf. Come to him. Truly come to him. You know, I was listening to some sports guys talking about certain teams. I think it was NFL whatever. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of struggling, trying to get into the playoffs and all of this kind of stuff. And he, and, and, and he used this phrase, this one commentator used this phrase. He said, yeah, this one team is having a come to Jesus moment. And I said, oh, are they going to get saved? I said, all right, praise the Lord. But see, he used that term in a, in a way to say, well, you know, they had to kind of come to grips with things in their life, you know. And I thought, wow, you know, we can take a phrase that really means something. And turn it into something in the world that, you know, may not mean something next year. But to come to Jesus now means a whole lot to us. In fact, didn't Jesus himself say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to Jesus. It's not a cliche phrase. Come to Jesus is come to life. Come to life everlasting. Come to life that's eternal. Come to life that goes beyond the life that we're living here right now. And believe in his work. Believe in what he's done. Paul in Romans 10 verses 9 through 11 says it very clearly that if thou shall confess With thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It says nothing in here. There's no way to fit anything that says, well, you know, but if you do this and if you do that and then you add that to you believing, then then you'll be saved. No, it's very simple. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with a heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it has to be that kind of faith, that kind of belief that says, I believe unto righteousness. I need to change this life, this life of unrighteousness, this life of ungodliness that I've lived for so long. And Paul concludes that statement by saying, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Even Jesus Himself would say this. Verily, verily I say unto you, John 5.24, he that heareth my word, notice this, you hear the word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life. Has everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What is that called? Becoming a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How can we not conclude this message with John 3:16 and 17? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let me remind you once again that the the new year does not start on Wednesday at midnight. Because I'm telling you right now, I don't know what's going to happen to any of us here between now and Wednesday at midnight. Our new year starts now. Now, to the people that were here last night, it started last night. But that's because they were here last night. But for you, it starts now. For me, it starts now. And let's remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, and this is it. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, have I helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now, behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't let it go by. Don't say, I'm going to finish this year off Come, you know, in high water. Then I'll consider coming to Jesus. No, you come now. If you haven't come yet, you come now.